Discover how you can green your life by building a knowledge base of current sustainable and eco-savvy trends. This series will delve into hot topics, current standards and practices, ways to design better spaces, and specify materials that benefit not only us as consumers, but the world as a whole. Members of Caragreen, as sustainable materials distributors, and other industry leaders weigh in throughout the series. This is Build Green, Live Green. Hi, this is Jessica with Build Green, Live Green, Caragreen's podcast on all things impacting the built environment. Um, And today we are focusing on surfacing materials and in particular, um, stone, quartz, porcelain, kind of um, sort of countertop and cladding materials. And today we have with us Emerson Schwarzkopf of Stone Update. Welcome, Emerson. Thank you. Um, You have a podcast of your own, which um, I listen to quite regularly. And so you know how these kind of go. So um, we'll just kind of wing it here. So can you talk a little bit about how you got into the stone industry, what your background was, and how you've kind of become the de facto source for information on all things natural stone, quartz, and engineered surfaces? Sure. I really got into this uh, almost by accident. Uh, I have been a business journalist for probably, well, since uh, the mid-1980s, covering a number of different topics. And uh, I had been partners with someone uh, in one industry, and then uh, he was looking for something, and I was looking for something. It was after the dot-com bubble had burst, and he was looking at magazines, and he was saying, you know, there's this the stone industry, and it seems to be there's a lot of advertising pages that would be available, and we could put a magazine around it, because that's what she used to do in those days. And that's what he did in the business end, and I said I would do it from the editorial end, and that's how I got into it. I had covered areas such as digital photography, such as digital sign making. Uh, so I was familiar with business. It just as it was interesting, I was getting into another industry where digital was just really coming into the fore. So it was a pretty happy marriage. That's great. So, so, you know, there was, there was kind of a, a void there. You guys filled it. And then did you find yourself now that you're in this industry did you have to travel to places to, to kind of get really immersed in it? Because there's not a, there is some, of course, natural stone um, of the natural stone industry here in the U S but there's a lot in other places too. Mm -hmm. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, once we started to do that within a month, we were going to uh, coverings uh, to to that trade show. And then we found out that there was another trade show uh, in Spain. So we actually went from California to Florida and then went from Florida to Spain, back to Florida and then to California in about two and a half weeks. So that was kind of a real jump in to what we were doing there. Um, then after that, uh, you know, we started uh, getting more into the different shows, mostly in Italy, Germany, and uh, getting into the different areas uh, with that, it was mainly the natural stone. Although we did start to see a little bit more of the uh, the gourds, and not so much porcelain at that point, because uh, really for a long time with porcelain, they were trying to make porcelain uh, in a very very uh, dense. Uh, tile like they would and the things were just too heavy to ship Uh, they have done a lot as you have seen with and everybody i think has seen with what they can do with porcelain so that has changed quite a bit and that has now coming maybe not to the fore but it is uh, advancing quickly so 
natural stone in the last, I don't know, I would say decade has started to um, be surpassed by engineered surfaces. Would you agree with that? And is that the right time frame? Oh, yes. I would probably say that, uh, yeah, I would probably say about maybe about maybe eight years ago. Some of it has to do with the supply of it uh, coming into the United States because, yes, we did have some people manufacturing in the United States, and then we started to have a large number of people start to do it outside of the United States uh, and doing different methods of that. So that's probably when it took off a little bit more when we started to see that real push from people coming in from foreign countries. I think one of the other things that's really interesting about that transition, and it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword for natural stone. One of the things people love about it is the uniquity of each piece. And with engineered stone, they can kind of create whatever look they want. So you end up with predictability. And um, some people kind of gravitate towards that because, you know, they, they, they want to kind of know what they're getting. Um, or say you're doing like a, a hotel or something and you're every room you want to look the same, you need a, sort of a predictable material that can do that. And Quartz offers that or Engineered Stone offers that. Very much so. Um, the thing is with Quartz, I think you probably not only have the predictability, but you also have the reliability of the look. Uh, there are just times when natural stone is absolutely stunning and it's just wonderful. And particularly for one-offs, uh, say a kitchen or a, uh, a bathroom, it's just absolutely wonderful. But when you want to have a unity of look, yes, then you want to have something else. And that's when something like quartz and now porcelain is coming to the fore. Yeah. I don't think I really understood the, um, the impact of natural stone and the just the, the sheer beauty of it until our trip to Italy um, as a group and uh, just a few months ago and going to Antolini and just seeing these giant blocks that became these beautiful slabs. Um, I don't think until you see the scale of it, you really understand how, how beautiful all those pieces are when they're just there and just kind of larger than life. Which is really the the difference at this point still. I know that there has been a lot of work by people, especially in the quartz industry, to bring a little bit more depth and a little bit more vibrancy to what you're looking at. But still, they're still rather, I shouldn't say sterile, but they seem to be somewhat of uh, kind of a two-dimensional where it's kind of strange to look at stone as three-dimensional, but you really do get that feel with the veining and everything else. You can almost see it going through it. Uh, it creates something that's a little almost more alive. And you and other people on that tour that we were on, I noticed really got into what I call the romance of natural stone. It really does have that kind of feel and you really can get attached to it. Uh, and some people want to have that in their surfaces and some other people will say, yes, but all I want is a really nice looking bathroom. Uh, and why don't we go for something that's over here? So it's, you know, it's a different, uh, it's a personal preference in many respects. Uh, obviously there are other things such as maintenance that come into that, but as far as the actual aesthetics, yeah, there still is quite a difference. The, one of the things I really enjoyed about that was, you know, I have a engineering background. So I see, I like technical stuff <laughs> and being able to see the geology within the slab and being able to see just time and how things moved and, um, you know, just 
the the you know just kind of metamorph you know metamorphic rock and igneous rock and you just see all these things that you know about but you're looking at how time behaved and how pressure made you know this this um you know particular nuance in the slab and i thought that was that was really neat and then when mm -hmm. we went on to lapitec and they have kind of recreated that geology in the factory um, mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't get the, the uniquity that you saw in the natural stone, but they've basically taken what takes millions of years to form and they're making it in a factory. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they're doing, uh, with many of these with thermoforming, uh, is they are doing exactly what, as I've told people for years, uh, we're basically taking the entire evolution of the earth and they're compacting it into about maybe 35 minutes. Uh, so it is a rather fascinating process and they are getting much better at trying to get that kind of feel for it. Uh, not quite there yet, but for probably 85, 90% of the people out there, it's certainly it's certainly good for them. So we, I think we can agree that kind of natural stone and quartz dominate the market from a, you know, kitchen countertop, you know, um, you know, commercial countertop mm -hmm. space. And then the porcelains are, are coming online, but there's been some dynamics over the last, I'd say again, you know, eight, 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 eight to 10 years that um, have really impacted not just, which materials are being chosen, but where they're coming from. So can you talk a little bit about um, what happened on the engineered stone court side when um, some of these, you know, other countries like China started to see all this demand, you know, you know, across the world. And then mm -hmm. they started opening up factories and, and kind of what the, what the repercussions of that were. Well, yes. Uh, the repercussions were that they were, bringing a large number of products into the market in quite a hurry uh, that disturbed some of the uh, manufacturers in the United States. And as a matter of fact, that's where, <clears throat> excuse me, tariffs came into play. And uh, uh, through federal regulation, I guess you will, uh, an investigation, it was found that there was uh, dumping into the market. Uh, there were subsidies by uh, uh, by different uh, entities in China, and therefore a rather large tariff was put in place, about 300%, which basically means that when something came in and it was valued at, say, per $100, well, then there was a tariff added on of $300, uh, which kind of <laughs> made that a very uh, unviable uh, product. The thing with it is that that was to get rid of the uh, less expensive or the cheaper products that didn't work very well uh, because uh, other countries then jumped into that uh, India and Turkey which also went under investigation for those things although their tariffs on that are much lower they're in the area of 10 percent uh, and then there are other countries such as Thailand and Vietnam which have come up rather uh, steeply they have no tariff at all. It's an interesting thing to note of all the materials that come into the United States, uh, quartz, uh, engineered stone, if you will, uh, has no tariff, period. Uh, so essentially it comes in on a like-for-like -like basis, which is not the case for natural stone and it's not the case for porcelain. Uh, those tariffs are rather small. Most of them are under 10% just under the regular tariff schedule. But it is rather interesting. That is one material that has no tariff at all. Uh, so that's why you're seeing a change in that. Uh, and we're seeing more coming from, like I say, from India, from especially from Thailand, from Vietnam, 
And these are ones where you have giant factories. Uh, I know that probably one of the largest is Cambria in the United States, and they are about six to seven lines and maybe putting another eighth in line in. They have plans for that. There are plants in the middle of nowhere in Thailand that have 20 lines. Uh, there are different types of automation of putting those in, but it, you can get kind of a sense as to how they are gearing up for that. And most of that is for the United States market because, of course, China has rather large facilities for doing this. And since they can't come to the United States, they go everywhere else. And that has also managed to kind of keep the import products uh, and the prices for them low, whether they're going to any other country in the world or to the United States. Interesting. I didn't realize that that um, there were that many production lines in, in China and uh, Thailand. Do well, that's think... just in one factory too. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it seems like Quartz is still kind of running its course, but there are mm -hmm. other things that are um, impacting engineered stone globally um, that that you know are are going to change um, how it is manufactured, processed, um, and maybe even the demand here in the United States. Can you talk a little bit about um, crystalline silica and sort of when that became an issue and what sort of kind of media related awareness has caused that to become an even bigger issue? Uh, silicosis, which is basically crystalline silica, which is very fine particles of silica that are created when you're cutting into it, especially if you do not wet the material or do the cutting while the blade is being wetted. Uh, that obviously comes into a large cloud. It will, uh, if you breathe it in, it will affect your lungs uh, basically in an emphysemal fashion. So where you end up with uh, diminished capacity uh, and then you have no capacity at all. Most people consider this miner's lung, uh, which is pretty much essentially the same kind of uh, uh, thing that will happen to the human lung when these things come through. Actually, silicosis, uh, interestingly enough, uh, was a bane of uh, workers in the 1930s in the U.S. marble industry. And that's probably where it got more of its attention than anything else. Uh, if, I think if you go into the National Archives, you will see films uh, made in the 1930s about how we needed to start controlling this. And we have these people who are essentially dying at a young age because they were stonemasons and they, that's what's happening to them. Uh, that has been alleviated for the most part uh, by... Uh, doing what is called wet kind of cutting. Uh, and I don't want to get too much into the details of that, but essentially it does uh, dampen the, uh, the dust that is coming through. Possibly not fully, but at least it does some for that. Uh, where we're starting to see more of this started in uh, Australia, probably well, maybe 2017, 2018, uh, we started to see some uh, feelings that that was mainly also because there was a fairly long, uh, uh, almost uh, tabloid type uh, coverage in uh, most of the Australian media of, you know, basically these people are dying for your beautiful countertops. Uh, that has evolved to the point to where we will probably see some legislation there concerning the content 
of silica in a material. And that now relates to the United States because we are seeing efforts in California and particularly in Los Angeles County uh, where there has been suggestions of even a ban on engineered stone. It's important to point out that engineered stone is not dangerous in and of itself. Uh, If you have engineered stone or quartz countertops, you don't have to worry about receiving miners lung from them. This is not something that is involved with the use of it. It's involved in the fabrication of it. Um, the interesting thing that many people are kind of not noticing is that we're starting to see uh, people such as Cosentino, which is a major manufacturer of quartz surfaces, and Caesarstone now, a major uh, producer yeah. of quartz surfaces, are now creating for that Australian market alone things with or, or materials with much less silica content, which we will see all over the place, so that essentially silica content will be 40% or less. Right now, it's uh, silica is about 90%. It is the hardness that's in that, in that material that you have. The thing that people aren't realizing is that these calls for bans or for essentially uh, limiting the amount of silica to 40%, it's not going to be just for engineered stone it's going to be for any kind of material that you can cut like engineered stone and that includes um any other any other manufactured stone it includes natural stone uh it possibly could with they think could include porcelain surfaces uh depending on how much of a, a quartz or a silica content that it has some has none some has a lot uh, yeah, well, like a quartzite. That, quartzite is problematic. Uh, quartzite has more quartz than quartz surfaces. Uh, so yes, it could be indeed very problematic if it gets to that. Uh, I know that there are people, the Natural Stone Institute is one, and there are others in the market that are going in there. They are trying to work, say, in California, where these rules are being developed now uh, to do that. And you kind of think, well, that's just California. But uh, in looking at it, uh, California would represent 12% of the United States market. They drive a lot of the environmental standards that we see across our other product lines, whether it's, um, you know, they're just their, uh, you know, their health standards and and, Mm -hmm. propositions, all those things push through to the rest of the industry because architects and designers use them to set the bar for the products Mm -hmm. that they choose. They have to meet those standards because generally they're the the highest standards. So, you know, I can see them, you know, continuing to push those through. And the other thing you have to realize, and people kind of laugh about this when they say, well, there's a county doing it. This is much different kind of county government in in California. They can do these things for public health. And you also have to realize that uh, California being 12% of the market was something like, I forget how many millions of people, something like 40 million people. One out of every four people in the state of California live in Los Angeles County. And never mind, this issue disproportionately affects Latino men, correct? What's that now? Oh, yes. It it does simply because of the fact those are the people who happen to be working in those facilities. Uh, And that has something that, of course, has been going on for, say, 20 to 30 years. Uh, I would think that if you would go to other places in the United States, you would find that you would start to see these things coming out. It also has to do with the, I would guess, uh, the uh, 
uh, organization of the shop, uh, you know, what kind of procedures they observe, uh, that kind of thing you have. And that is something that, you know, varies wildly across the board, really in any industry, but certainly in the stone industry as well. Yeah, I think they did an audit and there was a very high number of non-compliant shops um, in that L.A. County study, if I if I recall correctly. And I, I just That's, think, that, yeah. and I also think there's a requirement now, and you can probably confirm this, but I think that a medical professional has to report any uh, confirmed cases of silicosis. That is something that, uh, yes, although once again, silicosis is something that, A, you have to be, just like anything going to a hospital or a thing, you, they only sometimes only find it if they happen to be looking for it. Right. Uh, so that is something that they have to, to recognize there. Uh, plus the fact of reporting, it's kind of like, unless you get to everyone, I mean, just trying to tell every doctor that you have to do this is one thing, but getting them to actually do it is yet another because it's another form to fill out. It's something else that they have to do. They have to track these people. And, you know, for some doctors, no matter who they are and who they're, who, who they happen to be treating, whether it happens to be a Latino worker in Los Angeles or basically a farmer in Iowa, they're going to be some, sometimes very reluctant to do that. And sometimes they're more than happy to do that. So we really don't know, the exact extent of what this is at this point, because once again, all of the things that we have seen about this are for people where they have recognized it immediately. And it really isn't quite like, okay, let's take a study of 300 people and say, which ones have it and which ones don't. We, we still aren't to that point yet, although I'm sure that will come at some point. Yeah. I mean, as the daughter of one, I know that, um, there is a substantial, um, base of lawyers who are uh, drawing attention to and, um, you know, creating initiatives around silicosis. And, you know, I always used to do a study and I started like eight or nine years ago and I would, I Googled silicosis and I took a screenshot. And then over the years I would Google it. And when I did it eight to 10 years ago, what came up was West Virginia miners, West Virginia miners, like the whole page. Mm -hmm. Now you Google it and the first probably eight to 10 are paid ads from lawyers. So I think even if the medical professionals don't latch on to the, the reporting and do that, I think that even if the medical profession doesn't uh, report every single case, I think that um, the legal profession will definitely latch on to um, this, the, these cases. There's um, I used to do a test where about eight years ago, I would, I Googled silicosis and everything that came up was about, like you said, black long West Virginia miners. And then over the last, you know, three to four years, the top ads are just paid silicosislawyers.net, silicosislawyers.com. There's just all these, all these um, groups out there now that are latching onto this and calling it the next asbestos. So I think you're right in what NSI is doing. And some of the other groups are trying to say, look, this is safe. Your countertop is safe. It is not going to hurt you. But the other side of that is there's a group of people and, you know, it's, it's the younger generation cares. They're looking at life cycle of products and they want to know that this was carefully manufactured. So it really is a matter of um, kind of best in class fabricators and using the right suppliers and the right methodology and getting that methodology out there. So maybe companies that don't know best practices, we can get that into their hands and that should come from the manufacturers on down. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's in process and we'll be seeing more of that next year. Yep. And I think, I think that's good. And I think creating awareness is not to scare people. Creating awareness is to not kind of, uh, you know, brush this under the rug, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. because it's not just, it's not just cutting the material, right? It's if you cut the material and even if you use everything wet and then it dries on the floor and someone comes in and sweeps up that dust, that's a risk as well. So it's the overall procedure and best practices. And I think Absolutely. These, these organizations are drawing attention to that. Mm -hmm. Very much so. So I think we'll be talking about this for a while to come, but I think it's important what you mentioned about companies like Lapitec that have um, silica-free cindered stone, mm -hmm. Breton or BioCorks that we saw when we were in Italy, um, mm -hmm. and all the great things that Cosentino is doing, you know, with Dekton and with its hybrid um, technology, you know, they're looking at going down to zero for their engineered materials. And they're starting yes. to use the term mineral surface because they're eliminating quartz as that um, primary ingredient. Mm -hmm. And like others say, like with Caesar Stone, who essentially went on a crash course this last quarter to basically do the same thing. And yep. you will probably be seeing this from from other people and also with other manufacturers uh, putting even more stress on safety. Uh, the large manufacturers, you're not going to have to worry about. It's basically the stuff that's coming in where uh, you have virtually no idea who made it and what's in it that's going to be a problem in the future. I agree. So last thing I wanted you to talk about was, um, you know, data on stone and engineered stone. A lot of these companies aren't public. You've got Caesar Stone as a public company, but outside of that, it's really hard to kind of extrapolate that data, but you're able mm -hmm. to do it. So can, I know it's not a perfect science, but can you talk about some of the methodology and sources that you use to pull the data um, that you use to kind of forecast and give us all this great information so we know what's happening in this industry? Well, I think I have to stress, as I did at the ISFA conference uh, summit that we held uh, earlier this year, uh, and much to the amazement of some people in the industry that for many of these things, uh, whether you're an analyst and you're looking into Apple uh, or you're looking into things such as uh, quartz surfaces, uh, a lot of this is based on what we call WAG numbers, which basically stands for wild ass guess. Uh, so you really have to figure out how you can do it the best. Uh, some of this involves uh, getting to the point of finding out what machinery people have, uh, finding out what the top speed for certain things is, finding out what the speed is for others. Um, some of this I've managed to get through uh, actual plant visitation. Some of it uh, was told to me. Some of it I uh, kind of figured out because other people were asking questions and I was watching other things. Uh, but then this is how you, you find out these kind of uh, kind of things, plus shipments uh, and uh, kind of correlating that. I think that one of the nice things for quartz in the fact that you have one public company, at least for the time being with Caesar Stone, is you can look at certain things and then you can bring their information, which you can uh, access because they're a public company, a stock company, and you can find that they correlate fairly well. Uh, and that's really one of the major ways to do it. Uh, I know that with uh, quartz, for example, uh, we tend to see how much of a percentage of it is uh, coming from other countries and how much we think a percentage is made here in the United States. And from there, then you can start to make projections from that. 
and that's something actually I'm doing a presentation in Italy next month uh, concerning the U.S. Uh, market, and I produce some of that, and pretty much if people listen very carefully, they can figure out a lot of how to do this themselves, or if they don't like my numbers, they can figure out to create their own numbers. Uh, but it is somewhat uh, of a guess because some people are very, very proprietary with their information. And I don't blame them because they're a business and they don't want to be sharing that. But then again, at the same time, there are other things that you can find out and you can then match them up with uh, what they're doing. Yeah. And I think the tariff, um, that period with the tariffs, I think brought a lot of information out, you know, to kind of, um, as far as percentages go, uh, to make the claims um, about the dumping and stuff like that. So uh, mm -hmm. that was that was very telling at that time too. But I will use your data and not come up with my own. As you know, we focus on um, products kind of outside of this category, but you know they're all yes. kind of silica-free products, but um, you know, by, by um, just by nature of being sustainable. But um, thanks for having us on. Can you just um, quickly before you go, Give us the name of your podcast. Let us know uh, how to subscribe to Stone Update um, so that you know people can stay informed. Sure. The uh, name of the podcast is Radio Stone Update, which gives you a kind of a rundown every two weeks of what's been going on in the hard surfaces industry internationally and in the United States. And uh, you can find that uh, wherever you find your most popular podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever. Uh, if you want to subscribe to that and also to all of our other publications, you can go to uh, www.stoneupdate.com and you'll see a thing that says subscribe and you can go there, click on it, and you can get on our mailing list and you'll receive everything. And of course, it's all done at no charge. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on Bill Green, Live Green. All right. Thank you very much.